Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, would you open our hearts to the word? We would be disciples, not just believers in a, in, a, in a passive sense. We would be men and women full of your Holy Spirit, walking with you and seeing your power reach our generation. So Lord, feed us. We can't do this if you don't feed us and give us, give us new wine of your, of your presence in, in worship. You must build us up, O oh God. And so we open our ears to you. Our hearts to you. I pray for the grace that I can speak your words so that we hear you. Jesus, you're our rabbi. You're our teacher. It's to you we come and follow, not me. And I just pray that all of us, Lord, will hear you today afresh. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen. Where are we? We are in John 8, but we are, we are in Jerusalem. And it is fall. It's probably October. Jesus has gone down uh, to minister during the Feast of Booths. That's a week-long festival that celebrates the uh, uh, Exodus, uh, the Israel going through the wilderness. So the booths are, are, are brush arbors. They all, on their patios or rooftops, uh, they still do it today. They, they build a very rough uh, structure and pile it with uh, palm branches or reeds or uh, tree branches. Uh, and they sleep out in these, remembering their ancestors who went through the wilderness sleeping in, in similar uh, brush arbors as they raced across the Sinai Peninsula to get away from, to get away from uh, Pharaoh. And uh, so that's the festival that's been. The last, uh, the day after that festival uh, is, is a day they, they do uh, Simcha Torah. It's a day that they uh, celebrate the giving of the law and their reading through the Torah, the five books of Moses, starts all over again the next day. So it's a day, a special day of the law. Jesus, on this day of the celebrating of the giving of the law, has had a woman brought and put in front of him there in the court of the Gentiles. And the Pharisees, those are the ultra-Orthodox, the very, very religious, uh, they have put her in front and said, the law says uh, she should be executed. We've caught her in the act of adultery. What do you say? And you remember what he said. He, he said, well, then you who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, if we're going to hold everybody to the letter of the law, we're going to execute people according to the letter of the law, then, then uh, which one of you uh, is, 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 is not guilty and deserves execution yourself? And um, that worked real well. They, uh, one at a time, just left. And then he said, uh, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none, sir. And she, he said, then neither do I accuse you, but go and sin no more. Didn't change the standard, but gave mercy. Showed us how God the Father handles his law. Did you follow what I just said? Jesus is showing us how God wants his law used. And notice he didn't want her executed. He wanted repentance. Though the law requires it. Do you follow that? We're seeing the heart of God applying the law of God. This is really important uh, lesson. That uh, whole festival of the, of the uh, Feast of Booths is um, 
marked with, they have these great poles, four huge telephone pole-like structures that are put in that court of the women, but that isn't, it's not just women, it's everybody, basically it's where all the action is, uh, out in the, just outside where the, uh, the altar burnt offering and the temple itself are. And they put these great poles up and they have uh, oil lamps on them, enormous oil lamps with huge wicks and all. And they burn, uh, they, they stick up above the walls and they burn and shine a light over all Jerusalem. The rabbinical literature says there's, there's not a, there's not a, uh, a courtyard or, or, or house in Israel, that, in Jerusalem, that was not lit by that light. What, was it, what, was the, what did it symbolize? Who recalls? The pillar of fire. Yeah. It was, they, were, they were remembering the pillar of fire that led Israel through the wilderness and would, would, you know, was there over Mount Sinai and there over their tabernacle. They were remembering this thing. And uh, the day after the Feast of Booths, they're, they're out. The poles are there, but the lamps are out. And in that, on that day, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He was comparing himself to the pillar of fire. And he said... I am not only Israel's light, I am the light of the world. Ah, I give, and, if, and we, we saw this uh, one of these last few weeks, uh, was we're, that we follow Jesus uh, as the pillar of fire. Oh, that shows us how God guides us. And he's announcing himself. He's announcing himself to be God. He is, uh, I mean, this is just no normal person says, I'm the pillar of fire. Uh, not, not in Israel. Uh, it's either crazy or it's true. Uh, there's really no middle ground for this. Uh, it, it is just outlandish claim. He's saying, I am the light of the world. He who walks in darkness, you know, if, if, if he follows me, he will not walk, forgive me, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. You, normal people don't say stuff like that. At least they shouldn't. And yet when Jesus says it, no one flinches. Including them there, the Jewish people listening. Many, it says, believed on him. Uh, including even the religious leaders. Th- there's, he, he's just not a crazy person. He's speaking the truth. And it just echoes through everything. The Pharisees, uh, some of them, the religious, the ultra-Orthodox that are there, they want to argue with him. And so this section I'm going to read you today is, is, is this debate. They begin to debate with him. And, and they begin to debate with him over kind of particular points of the law. But in it all, Jesus shows us the roots, the sources of unbelief. And he, and he speaks to three major sources of unbelief in their hearts. He, he begins to tell them why they're arguing with him, not arguing with them. Did you follow that? And it brings light to us. It's why people don't believe. It's why, it, and it's, it, these are forces of unbelief that attack you and me too. So it's something we need to listen to. Come Holy Spirit, open our ears. Amen. Here we go. John 8, I'll start at verse 13. So the Pharisees, that's the, what I said was uh, called the ultra-Orthodox. These are Bible-believing Jews who are trying to see that everybody obeys the law that, as, as they interpret it so that God is not angry with Israel and will not exile them again. So the Pharisees said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, 
Even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. Would you read that part? You judge according to the flesh. And he says, I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it. But I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, notice he calls it your law. Uh, he's, he's the way they're interpreting it. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury. That's part of that court of the women. That's one section, one area of it. As he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews, and when it says Jews, it doesn't mean Jewish people. Everybody's Jewish in the picture. It's the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Would you say, you are of this world? You are of this world. I am not of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that I, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, I'm going to read just a couple more verses. Uh, I'm going to look at verse 32. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Would you read that? You will know the truth, and the truth will... And then one more, it's verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and the father of lies. All right, let's look at our discussion guide. Jesus escaping unbelief. Jesus was gentle with common people and sinners, but he became quite confrontational when he dealt with people who were very religious. In the passage we're reading through today, it's obvious he was very frustrated with the unbelief in this group of Pharisees who were confronting him. We know from the statements he made elsewhere that he felt the Pharisees were damaging people, not helping them. Remember his comments about whitewashed walls. And, and he says, you, you take and you go all over the world and you find one individual and you make him a son of hell as, as bad as yourself. That's not a compliment. I mean, he, he, but his point was, you are ruining people. You're a, you're, you're a negative influence, not a positive influence. But he was also, listen to this, he was also angry about what they were doing to themselves. They had ended up in a condition in which they could no longer see what God was doing, even when he was powerfully at work in front of their own eyes. In fact, they had become so spiritually blind, it was almost miraculous. 
How could people who were very religious have so little faith? As we listen to their dialogue with Jesus, he makes several observations that reveal the sources of their unbelief. One by one, he points to the real reasons they were rejecting him. And as we'll soon discover, those reasons had nothing to do with the arguments they were using to try to discredit him. Their unbelief didn't come from a disagreement over certain passages in the Bible. It came from much more human sources. Today, we'll examine the sources of unbelief to which Jesus pointed in the hearts of his opponents. And as we consider each one, we will discover that they are just as common today as they were then. And just as dangerous. If we recognize any one of them in our own hearts, it must go. But if we, if, if, as we listen to Jesus, find none, then seeing them for what they are, enemies of faith, will help us refuse those impulses when they come to tempt us. Because all of us have to deal with the flesh, the world, and the devil. Amen. I want to retell you that dialogue. I want you to, to feel uh, what's going on in that discussion between the Pharisees and Jesus, starting at Tuesday. Apparently, there was an ongoing debate between Jesus and the Pharisees about what evidence would be necessary to validate his claims to be the Son of God. The argument revolved around a requirement in the law of Moses, which was originally intended to protect the innocence of someone accused of a crime punishable by death. It says, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. We still use that today, don't we? It's, uh, you know, it's your word against mine. Uh, that, that won't carry in a court. You know, if you say I did it, I say I didn't do it. There has to be more witnesses. That's, that's the point of it all. And it was for a capital punishment, those issues originally. Over the centuries, it became a standard for testing all sorts of truth. So what started out as capital punishment issues got extended to say, if a thing is true, it needs to be established by two or three witnesses. When Jesus declared himself to be divine... The Pharisees responded by saying, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, Jesus needed more witnesses to testify to the fact before it could be accepted as true. He'd already responded to this same charge on another occasion by providing his accusers with a list of witnesses. He had listed John the Baptist, the miracles he was performing, God the Father, the scriptures, and even Moses himself. But clearly, judging from the fact that they raised the issue again they did not consider this list to be sufficient. So this time his response was to explain to them why they were unable to receive the testimony of those witnesses. Jesus said, even if I testify concerning myself, my testimony is true because I know the place from which I came and the place to which I will go away. This statement is built around the fact of his pre-existence. He is saying that he came to earth from heaven and at some point in the future he would leave earth and go back to heaven. Do you follow that? And then he confronted his opponents with their obvious inability to understand this. But you do not know the place from which I have come or to which I will go. In other words, these Pharisees had no comprehension of who he was beyond what their natural senses could perceive or their natural mind could understand. They're looking at him in the flesh. He summarized their condition this way. 
you judge according to the flesh. All they saw when they looked at him was his flesh. They saw a carpenter whom they had thought had been born in Nazareth and who was trying to teach people about God without having received any formal rabbinic training. And they all thought, uh, they all brought to the process of evaluating him, all they brought was capacities contained in their own human flesh. They accepted no input beyond their five senses and the reasonings of their brain. They were humans trying to comprehend the divine, but stubbornly refusing to accept the testimony of any of the witnesses which God had provided. Do you know people like that? I only believe it when I see it. You got to prove it to me. I had a, I had a, a kind of a, a, a mother up last night talking to me about a, a, a son who said, I'm a, I'm a man of science. And... Uh, he had walked away from his faith and just said, I, I'm a man of science. In other words, I, I, you know, this will have to be proved to me uh, with my mind. I have to see it with my, with my flesh. My flesh will have to, my, my flesh mind, my natural five senses, they will have to somehow perceive this for me to believe it. Friday. These Pharisees had just placed a woman in front of him and declared her to be guilty of adultery. But that event was only one of many judgments they pronounced against people. Basically, they considered it to be their duty to evaluate the entire Jewish population using their interpretation of the law of Moses as the final standard. In that sense, Jesus was simply one more victim of their harsh scrutiny. So the fact that they judged him according to the flesh was not unusual. They judged everyone that way. To expose the ugliness of their judgmental attitude, Jesus simply contrasted their attitude with his. He said, I do not judge anyone. In these few words, he expressed a profound truth. He who came from heaven and would return to heaven, he who had the right to judge, didn't exercise that right because he'd been sent to earth by the Father to save people, not condemn them. During the years of his earthly ministry, Jesus didn't condemn people. But he certainly did expose wrong attitudes and warn people that the day would come when he would sit on the judgment seat of God to determine their guilt and assign their destiny. Did you, you, look, this is an important thing to understand, and I'm going to say it more here. Jesus says, I do not judge anyone. That doesn't mean I never will. It means I don't now. I've come now in this season to save. The day will come. When the Son of Man will sit on his throne and all judgment has been given to him and, and, and all the nations of the earth will be brought before him. You need to keep that in perspective because some people will, will approach this whole thing with, with God and say, God loves you just the way you are. And the implication of that is, and you don't need to change, he's happy with you. No, that's not the way you want to interpret that. He loves you just the way you are and now he's going to take you by the hand and he's going to form you into the image of his son. He's going to clean up your life. He's going to change your attitudes. He's going to work on you. You are to be a work in progress. All of us are. No one has a right to say, just accept me the way I am, God. I like it. That's just not okay. It's just not the way it is. Um, 
we take his grace not as a tolerance or an indifference to the, way, to the weaknesses in us, but as a, as a season of, of mentoring. See, he doesn't judge me. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't remove himself from me. But as a father, he takes me by the hand and he trains me and he cleans me and he works in me. I don't, I don't trade on his grace. I don't, I don't game it. I don't exploit it. I don't use it as an excuse to sin on bravely. I, I use it uh, uh, thankfully uh, to, to God is not walking away from me, um, but is with me while he's growing me. Amen? Yeah, I, I needed it today. I, I, just, I just woke up with a, believe it or not, a bad attitude. And, and um, <laughs> thankfully, Mary's coming home today. It's, a, yeah, it's 547 at the airport. And, and, uh, but anyway, uh, I, I, I took communion. And I just thanked the Lord afresh this morning during worship for his constant mercy. That he, that he does not withdraw his hand. He doesn't withdraw his spirit. Uh, I didn't do anything. I mean, some of you are going, what did he do? I didn't do whatever you're thinking. <laughs> what I wake up with is, is this grumpy attitude uh, about certain things. And, and, I can, and it's, just, it's effortless. I mean, I can go from just one thing to the next. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm so self-righteous. It's just nasty. <laughs> it is. It just is what it is. And I had to repent of that and let the love of the Lord come into me. And, you know, one of the things is, don't you get worried as you look at the, the world's uh, situation? And you think, God, when are you going to do something here? I mean, one of the people that was, I was angry at was him. And I was like, he's just not doing his job. And, uh, and uh, I'm not accusing him. And yes, I do. Uh, that, but that's the attitude. It's like, are you going to let this go on? And um, how many people are going to get killed? How many, how many things are going to happen? I mean, and uh, I start to worry. And uh, I, had to, I, had to, I had to thank him for grace. Aren't you grateful for it? He doesn't walk away from me because I had a bad morning, a bad attitude. He loves me. And he just patiently waits me out and then washes me up and off we go again. And the, and the, and the worship, the word today, what it was coming there is of, of, of laying hold of God afresh. My heart rose up and yes, I can do this. This is how we walk with him. This is what the grace is about. He says, I do not judge anyone. We're in that wonderful season, the year of salvation, the year of God's favor. Um, but it will be followed by the day of, the, of, the, of judgment. And so you don't, you don't game it. So grace, the grace he gave freely to people was not because he didn't see their sin or have the authority to judge it. The Father had already given him such authority. He was giving people grace because it was the season for grace. And then he returned to answering their challenge about having enough witnesses to prove that he's the Son of God. He said, even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. So he accepted their challenge and then answered it by saying that he did have two witnesses, himself and his father. Amen. Debating the Pharisees. In this encounter, Jesus is exposing the sources of unbelief in very religious people. But he could be just as well talking about non-religious people. The attitudes that produce unbelief are the same in both. Because the underlying forces that produce unbelief are a matter of character, not faith. Look, I, 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 everybody knows God's there. 
Everybody knows God is there. It's, it's an intuitive thing in the human race. We all are aware. It is, it, the question is, how do we react to it? Some people, do, I, don't, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't, I don't like this moralistic God. I don't want this kind of thing. And so we get angry. We, uh, we kill him by not believing in him. We go through all sorts of gaming. But really, the, the issues of faith are a matter of character. How do I deal with truth I don't like? How do I deal with submission? How do I deal? Uh, am I willing to walk courageously? Because faith requires great courage. Am I willing to make those kinds of choices? That's really what it comes down to. Which is why he confronts them so forcefully. He is not being rude. He's telling the truth bluntly in the hope that they will actually listen to him. He's telling them the truth because the truth can set them free. The flesh. The first source of unbelief to which the Lord points is the flesh. He said, you are judging according to the flesh. Now the most obvious meaning of those words is that they were evaluating him using only the information which their natural senses and reason could perceive. They refused to recognize any spiritual input. But the question behind that attitude is why? Why would someone refuse to look beneath the surface to see the spiritual realities at work in a person or a situation? After all, everyone senses those realities to some degree. Even children, or maybe I should say especially children, recognize a healthy or an unhealthy person or, envi or environment. Come on, you know the word icky. You can go to some houses or some places and it's icky. And you don't know why it's icky, but you want out of there. My, my, my daughter was telling me about a situation recently with, a grand, with one of my grandchildren. And they, we, they were look, looking at houses, and they were, they were in a house. And my the, the little granddaughter said, I want out of here. It's, get me out of here. I don't like it here. Get me out of here. And Sarah said, I felt it myself, but I, watching my child just get me out of this building. And they had to take her out to the car and get her out of the building. What's that? Haven't you felt stuff like that? <laughs> Haven't you suddenly had the hair up on your, go up on your arm and you go, I don't know, something's wrong here. Yes? That's spiritual. And everybody has it because we're all made in God's image, like it or not. You are fundamentally a spirit. And the reality is that the spiritual is there. This isn't, this isn't some kind of uh, philosophy or speculation. Uh, this is, it's reality. You feel it, you see it, you feel people. You feel some, you go to some places and there's a peacefulness and a comfort and a warmth to it. You go to another place and it's, it's, you, you, you just want to, your flesh is crawling. What's that? It's your spirit sensing the spiritual realities in that place. That's what it is. So I'm, we're not even, we're not, we're not, we're not making something up uh, out of nothing. Yet the, this group of people, this, this group of, of, of very religious people refused to follow the leading of their heart and were demanding more proof. Picture this with me. Imagine yourself there with Jesus actually healing and delivering people. Because he was doing it all the time. What a, what a, just, just here we are, we're in the crowd, and there's this, there's this, this, rabbi this Jesus there and 
People are bringing their sick. Let's say, uh, here's, here comes a, a father and mother bringing a, a, a crippled child. And they're bringing him. Uh, he'd fallen. And, 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 and it was, and, you know, you don't have the medicine we do and the legs. You'll see this when you go to other parts of the country. You know, legs all broken and, and, and heel all crooked. So you, you bring, we've got this child. And Jesus takes the child and prays for it. And the legs straighten. The, can, you, can you picture the, the tears that the parents are shedding? The sobs that are going on as they hold their baby and realize the child's been... Picture someone bringing one of their family members who's so depressed, so, de- so demonized, and all depression isn't demonic, but it sure can get there. That the, the, the person is just, just all pulled in and oh, just, just died inside. And they bring their loved one. And he looks at him. he says... Get out. And that person suddenly comes awake, the eyes open up, and they're back. You ever seen, ever seen anybody come back? I have. I have seen people come back, and suddenly there they are, and they weren't there. It is phenomenal. Can you, can you imagine the sense of love? Can you imagine the sense of, of just the presence of, of God in that moment? And then picture this. Somebody's standing there watching this and they say, that's demonic. What? It's what? Nobody, nobody in their right mind says that's demonic. I don't care what religion you're from. Nobody watches that kind of human health and love and restoration going on and the, and the, and the joy of it and says that's demonic. Nobody does. Unless you're determined to. And that, honestly, this is what Jesus calls the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It isn't just saying bad things about, you know, our dear Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's not, that's not it. It's being able to, 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 to have the witness of, of the Spirit going on like this. To see. And then say, that's demonic. If you have the lack of integrity to so call what is beautiful, ugly. So call what is holy, impure. To so look at it, knowing, knowing what you're doing. You so violate yourself that the, your ability to repent is, is, is deeply compromised. God will forgive anybody that will repent. But I, we, you and I as humans, we do not have an infinite amount of repentance in us. Our capacity to repent, our capacity to respond to God and allow him to change us is not infinite. And the more we resist it, the harder we get. It isn't God's fault, it's us. That's why you don't toy with it. When you're under conviction, when God begins to draw you, don't toy with it. Don't toss it away and say, I'll do it another time. You don't know what you're going to be like another time. You know what God's going to be like another, in the future. You don't know what you're going to be like in the future. We need to respond tenderly. So here we have, this is, this is the issue. Here we have a group of religious leaders who are watching this kind of lovely, gorgeous thing going on. And they're calling him and they're, being, they're attacking him. That is a wanton violation of their character. It isn't a matter of faith. What attitude, what attitude causes this type of reaction? I believe it's fear. To step out in faith requires boldness. It's risky. 
and some people simply refuse to put themselves in a vulnerable position. They want to be safe more than they want to be right. So if God shows them something which they acknowledge, if they acknowledge it to be true, will require them to do something risky, they will turn away and pretend they need more proof. That way they can't be blamed for rejecting it. They are wisely, quote, waiting for more information. Now, come on, we've all done this, haven't we? God tells you something, you don't want to do it, and you say, well, I just need more proof, more confirmation. No, you don't. You just are stalling for time, hoping he'll change his mind. <laughs> you know, there's a way out of this. I, at least that's what I do. Yeah. Um, if, they, if they believe in him, they have to start walking at a level. See, religion, religion is a very cerebral thing. It's a very hollow thing. You get around real deep religion. One of the things I do is when I take people to Israel, is I take them to certain, I don't go to a lot of, a lot of religious things as such. I'm not interested in religion. We're not there for that. We're there to see where these things happen. But I'll take them to some of these very, very religious matters. And you can just have statues and, you know, garb and gear all over people and candles and incense burning and we're, 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 we're touching rocks and I mean we just go at it that does not constitute the Lord in fact I suspect the more gear the less God there's something about people who really walk with God they don't need all of those religious trappings all of that stuff I mean I know there's people in cultures that do it and who are but I'm just saying it's when you're walking, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit you want, not, not all this religious gear. And so you have people who've been very religious. I mean, they're, they are tithing mint and cumin. They are, they are uh, going to church on day. They're watching exactly for when the three stars are out and they know the evening has started. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing all of this to the, to the smallest point. That doesn't mean they're walking in faith. That doesn't mean they're walking in faith at all. It means they're doing this religion. You see what I'm saying? And, and so this now, here comes this, this Jesus, and he's healing and casting out devils, and he's, and he's asking them to, 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 to believe uh, that the, the Messiah is coming and the kingdom of God is, is, is arrived. That's a big step out into nothing. That's a whole change of lifestyle. And let me tell you, a bunch of them will. A bunch of these will. I'll show you in a minute. All right. What we need to see in this encounter is that Jesus doesn't accept that excuse. Yes, he says they are judging according to their flesh, but he doesn't believe they are helplessly trapped by their flesh. You have to see that. He's not, he's not condemning them. He's, he's, he's analyzing them. If they chose to listen to their heart, to judge according to their spirit... He knew they still had the capacity to see who he was and, and believe. In fact, many of them did. Let your eye look over at verse 30. Do you, you still got a Bible open there? Verse, chapter 8, verse 30. You just need to see it. As he spoke these things, what? Many came to believe in him. Look at the next verse. So Jesus was saying to those, what? Jews. And who are the Jews when it says that? The religious leaders. Many religious leaders are believing in him. And he then speaks to them and says, now if you're going to follow me, you've got you to stay at it. 
<laughs> you've got to, what was his word? You've got to continue in my word to be my disciples. Many of these orthodox, many of these religious leaders believed in him. Look, I said you and I have not an infinite capacity to repent. And that's true, I think. But God is, is a great God. And he can reach through all sorts of barriers and all sorts of hardness. So that it is never our position to say someone's beyond reach. And I want you to see this. Here are his opponents. In fact, some of them will reject him. And some of them are going to be the ones who execute him. And he knows that. But would you notice his heart? He's going after them to save them. This confrontation is not about condemning. It's about reaching. And it works. He gets a bunch of them. In fact, you get into the book of Acts, many priests became disciples in the early church. The world. So, verse 23, that's the, you are from below, I am from above. You are from of this world, I am not of this world. The, being from below does not mean from hell. It means in this context, from the world. You are, from the, you are worldly, and I am not of this world. So first of all, Jesus said they didn't believe because they were judging him according to the flesh. But then he exposed a second source of unbelief. He said, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. The term world, cosmos in the Greek, may include many things. But there is one thing it certainly means. The world is the atmosphere of ungodly culture and unbelief which surrounds all of us. In other words, those who are of the world are the people who are following the crowd. They let others do their thinking for them. It's a form of passivity. Rather than spend the energy to investigate a matter for myself, I join the herd and follow along. It's easier to believe what everyone around me believes but, but if these Pharisees were going to see Jesus for who he really is, then they would have to ignore the peer pressure and listen to what he was saying. Watch what he was doing and use their own discernment. They would have to separate themselves from their world. Their environment doesn't believe in him. Will they Think for themselves. Will they watch what's happening or will they just follow the crowd? He says, you're of the world. You're just following the culture of the world. You're not stepping out. To be a, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you and I have to be willing to walk alone. That's a hard thing. It's a very frightening thing, actually. Very uncomfortable. But you will find the way he leads you and the way the your friends, your support systems, whatever it is often, the way they go will part ways at various points. And you will have to be willing to walk alone. I think that's why some of the strong disciples, if you look back in their histories, they've had really difficult, some painful times of breaks with things. They learned to walk alone. Some people, the thought of having to separate from their support structure is just and I, I, they, just, they just aren't willing to do it. And that's, what he's, that's where he's going right now with them. Are you willing to step out of the culture you're in and follow me? Will you do it? Will you walk alone? 
our culture right now in, the, in, in, in our country is becoming very intolerant of anyone who does not follow the culture. If you follow Jesus, if you follow what he teaches you, if you follow the word, you will quickly find yourself going one way and the culture going another. And the culture is not okay with that. Actually, cultures all over the earth, all over history, have never been okay with that. There's, there's a, you know, is, human, humans are just, we're, we're, like, we're like herd animals. I mean, you know, mm, we, 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 we do. You know, you and I don't even realize this, we're in the middle of it. But we follow our cultures just way more than we know. Look at, look at just look at pictures of, 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 of an American public scene a hundred years ago. Just take a, you know, get one of those. You look at them and go, who are those strange people? Well, they were your parents and grandparents, you know. Uh, they, they all thought they looked fine. Now, if you take a snapshot of us, and then 50 years from now look back at it, they're all going to go, who are those people? Well, we all think we look fine. You know, we dress alike. We talk alike. We, we eat the same sorts of foods. I mean, we have variations, of course, but there's a commonality in everything we do. What we read, what we think, our language. I mean, what's the latest terms we use, you know? All of this stuff, we just kind of flow along in the herd. And to break from that and to walk another way is, is a big deal. And it's very uncomfortable. And it's also... Uh, viewed as threatening. It's viewed as threatening. Let's, the devil. All of us have to deal with the fear of stepping out in faith. And all of us have to decide if we're willing to walk away from the crowd. But we also have to fa face another source of unbelief. That's, that's more subtle, harder to recognize, and far more sinister. Every thought that passes through our brain does not come from our own flesh or the world in which we live. You're aware of that. When Jesus said to them, he said, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, which is why Jesus is telling him, You're thinking of murdering me, and does not stand in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar. He said, what you're feeling, the distortions, the confusion you're going through, and the, and the desire to kill me, that's coming from the devil himself. They, <clears throat> they are like the fiery arrows which an ancient enemy would shoot over the walls of a city that was being attacked. If a person does not realize that these arrows exist or recognize their source, he or she can be deceived into believing them. And those thoughts actually increase in intensity when a person begins to turn toward God. Have you ever heard this saying? You know, I, when, I, when I started uh, walking with Jesus, all hell broke loose. It did. That's exactly what happened. And uh, I've had people think, I don't know if I want to be a, <laughs> this Christian thing. The devil doesn't like it. So, well, if, if your solution is, then I'll stay damned. You know, I'll stay lost. <laughs> I don't think that's the best answer. Um, I think you need, we need to walk in strength. Look, I, uh, this is an extremely important understanding. Everything that goes through your brain does not come from here. I say that because if you think about it, there's stuff that goes through your brain that's pretty, pretty ugly. 
you'll have times when it's violent or self-destructive or, 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 or you'll, you'll, hear, you'll have kind of hateful thoughts and, and impulses that go through you. And, going, and, and, and if you don't know this, if what I'm saying right now, you'll often think, I must be awful. What's the matter with me? Where does that garbage come from? The devil is there. And he does have access to our thoughts. He puts thoughts in our minds. It, and that the picture Paul uses is that of the ancient warfare where they'd shoot this fiery arrow with a tar on the end of it and shoot it over the walls into the city to try to light the city on fire. And Paul says the devil's like that. He shoots thoughts over the walls into our minds to try to catch fire, to try to get going. If I don't know where those things are coming from, if I don't recognize them for what they are, then I begin to think they come from me, which is exactly what the devil wants you to believe. He puts these horrendous thoughts in you and he goes, look at you. You're awful. Somebody like you shouldn't even be living. You'd do the world a favor if you just died. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever thought, how can I feel like this? What is, where does this come from? Your, your spirit, you don't even want it. But there it is. He's telling them. There's something being shot over the wall. The unbelief, the doubt. You are being assaulted mentally in your faith. Try moving toward the Lord. Try leading someone to the Lord. You will often watch this process happen. Things begin to happen and stir spiritually in terms of an attack on that person that wasn't even there before. It's like everything, you, you know, you, you just start ministering and then suddenly boom, 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 boom. The stuff ignites. It's, it's there. When, when, when I talk with people who have depression or, or some of these uh, terrible addictions, I, my biggest thing is to, to get them to see, if they're a believer, get them to see that the thing is coming in from there, not from here. It is not arising from you. It is not you generating it. It's actually an assault. Well, what difference does that make? Now I treat it differently. Now I, can, now I learn to stop the assault. Now I learn... It, and it, and it, it, as long as I think that garbage is coming out of me, I, I become self-loathing. I begin to hate myself. And I become hopeless. When I realize it's coming in. And that I have given the authority to stop it. This is why I spend a lot of time with people. I just tell them, take your mind and stop listening to it. I teach them how to silence the arrows. And when they, when they do that, we've, I've watched people walk out of the most severe kinds of addictions. And, 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 um, and, and obsessive compulsive things and stuff like that. I've watched people walk free from it. But you have to teach them how to recognize this and deal with the temptations. How do you deal with it? If a person does not realize that these arrows exist or recognize their source, he or she can be deceived into believing them. And those thoughts actually increase in intensity when a person begins to turn toward God. An unseen struggle erupts inside the mind. Strange, hateful feelings toward Jesus may arise from nowhere. Or if I begin to really listen to the truth about Jesus, I may suddenly become confused or feel sleepy. 
It seems something or someone wants to prevent me from believing. Have you ever seen that happen? I've had people come and say, Pastor, it's not your preaching. But every, says, every time I come to church, I want to go to sleep. <laughs> I suspect at times it is my preaching, but that's, that's another subject. But you will have people, you will have people who come, and, you know, you'll bring somebody and, and they're trying to introduce them to the Lord. And they're just... Every time they get around anything of spirit, it's gone. That's an attack. That's why when you're beginning to lead someone to the Lord, that's why when we talk about, we've got a track outreach coming up, or our, or our new brothers and sisters in Benin, you've got to be praying for them. You've got to be praying for them. They don't know all this stuff. They don't know all this stuff, but it's all there. It all starts happening whether they know about it or not. And so when I want, you want to lead somebody to the Lord, the first thing you do is start praying for them. Because the minute the, the enemy notices that this is stirred, he'll begin to work on them too. So you have the authority to, to push that back and stop it. So I, I pray all the time, Lord, just open, open ears, open eyes, soften hearts, protect us, set your angels around us. Don't let the enemy touch us. Don't let him hurt us. You're fighting to protect the, 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 the heart there um, so that they can respond to the Lord. You fight over them. What, what did Jesus say? He said, uh, if you want to plunder the, the strong man's house, uh, I mean, you, want to play, want, you have to first bind the strong man and then you steal his treasure. Well, it's the treasure, people. You want to take people away from the devil? You break the strong man's power and, and, then he, and he lets him go. But until you let them go, you're not gonna, you're, they're not going to get them. So there's this, this spiritual element. That's what he's, what he's pointing to here. And in this dialogue with the Pharisees, Jesus exposes this opponent. He calls him the devil. And he says he's a murderer and a liar. And then he tells them they have, uh, they have so fallen under the influence of his flow of thoughts that they have become the devil's, quote, children. In the same way as believers who listen to God become his children. What a horrible image to be called the devil's children. But again, we need to remember that if there were no hope for them, Jesus would not have confronted them with this truth so passionately. There was still hope for them in his heart. He hoped that the truth would set them free. I want to make this point a little stronger. This is really, this is really important. It's something inside of us tends to categorize people. We put them in a box. Uh, all of us do that, I think. And, and uh, there's a whole theology built around that. If, if you don't come up with it, we'll it can be taught to you. And uh, that is that there are those predestined to salvation and those who are predestined to, to damnation. I guess it, nobody likes to say it quite like that. Um, and you have in, here's, when we went through the book of Romans, I saw something that just really, uh, really moved my heart. In chapter 9 of Romans, Paul talks about, and he's particularly talking about the Jewish community in this case, who was resisting him so violently. And he calls them at one point vessels of wrath. Do you remember that? That's a pretty bad term. <laughs> vessels of wrath. You know, you don't want to be that. And you think, okay, with well, somebody's a vessel of wrath, they're just a goner. They're done for. And then, but two chapters later, you get to chapter 11, and he talks about the same group of people. Only this time he uses a different image. The image he uses here is an olive tree. And he talks about branches that have been broken off. 
talking about the same group of people who had resisted uh, God's work so violently. But then he says this. And he says, but do not regard the mercy of God lightly. He said, if those branches were broken off because of their unbelief, he said, if they will repent and believe, they'll be put back in that tree. Do you hear what I just said? Um, a, A person can be categorized as a vessel of wrath and still repent and come back and become a vessel of mercy. Do you hear me? God never, from his side of things, ever cuts us off. Until, I mean, until the last breath of it is gone in us. So Jesus is looking at people who are, who are murderously thinking about him. Thinking, so how do I get you? How do I save you? How do I talk to you so you hear me? The lies are dangerous. They have a source of power behind them that's evil. But truth also has a source of power behind it. The Holy Spirit. And the power behind truth is greater than the power behind lies. During that conversation in the temple courtyard, Jesus exposed three sources of unbelief. First, he said people were making decisions based on their flesh, not the witness of the Spirit. We saw that fear can prevent people from deciding to walk in faith with God because it's risky. Second, he said people were following the world. They were passively submitting to peer pressure rather than using their own discernment. And third, he said people needed to wake up and recognize the doubts the devil was inserting into their thoughts. They needed to know that they were being attacked by a spiritual enemy. Before I go on to the, just finish there, let me, let me ask you, we need, to, we need to let this apply to us. Here's a couple of, some questions I thought of. Is there an area where you refuse to walk in faith because it's risky? I mean, this can be about coming to Christ in general. Some of you may have have been, you've been hesitant to come to Christ because you sort of wanted more proof. You didn't want to step out in faith and believe in something you couldn't see with your physical eyes. And that's, then the Lord's put it through his word right there in front of you and said, will you believe? Would you listen to your heart? Will you, your, your, your spirit knows. Wake up to what your spirit's saying. But some of us as Christians can have the same issue. Have we been protecting ourselves by not wanting to walk with God in something and saying we needed more proof? Uh, people with the, the fleecing. And I'm going to put a fleece out there. Uh, and then another fleece, and then another fleece. And, you know, what we're, we're just stalling for time. Some of us needed to have obeyed a long time ago, uh, but we're, we, we've just uh, muddied it. So that same fear continues on to attack us. Number two, where do, you feel the influence of peer, where do you feel the influence of peer pressure on your faith? Where have you been passive and followed the crowd? Are we under peer pressure? Are we under the, the, the effect of the world, uh, the pressure about what we believe? You bet we are, all of us. And number three, have you learned to recognize the fiery arrows of doubt? How do you deal with them? So important, so important. All of that stuff that comes isn't just from you. It isn't just, it, it's, you have an enemy of your soul who is trying to insert his thoughts into you and get you to follow them and to own them. And uh, the, Lord's, the Lord's exposing it. Truth exposes lies. 
It exposes bad attitudes. It exposes assaults sent against us by the devil himself. Armed with truth, the human will is set free to make informed choices. Either to remain under the control of fear, passivity, and deception. Or to break free and embrace the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to tell us the truth. And then die for us and rise again. Jesus told people the truth because he loved them and wanted to help them escape unbelief. If we love people, we will do the same. Would you stand with me? Fear of being in a risky place, of walking with God in a risky thing. Not wanting to do something until I'm 100% sure. (laughs) You won't do anything (laughs) in the kingdom. That's why it's called faith. It's because you're not 100% sure. (laughs) If it's you, you think it's him. I've found that even when I'm wrong, my desire to please him is what pleases him. That when I do it with that desire to please him, that even if I have launched in the wrong direction, he knows my heart. And he just takes that and he turns it and uses it for good. He can cause all things to work together for good. So actually, as we walk with him in faith, as you step out in faith, you really, if you do it with, with integrity of heart, you, you can't miss. Your heavenly father just will pick, a, pick up after you and turn it into something good. I've made mistakes that after we were all done, I, it looks like plan A. I'm serious. Like, I'm not sure I wouldn't do it again wrong. Because he's so redeemed it, it. It's beautiful. That's the God we serve. He's amazing and he's wonderful. Passivity, following the crowd. That's something all of us right now. How do we do it and how do we do it wisely? How do we walk through this changing culture with this grip that's sort of coming? How do we stay faithful to the Lord? Walk with him and do it effectively. Lord, give us great wisdom. Give us wisdom and give us courage. And then, Lord, we'd ask for discernment. That when the enemy shoots his fiery darts, some of these, some of these doubts, some of, the, some of the, the, the accusations that come, oh God, expose them for what they are. Yes, we have a flesh. And yes, there are our own attitudes there too. But Lord, some of these things come right from hell. And we ask you to give us that discernment. And then the, the, the skill to silence those arrows. To silence those arrows and set our mind on Christ. Blessed be the Lord who has made us strong and is with us. We love you and we honor you, Jesus. And we just say, if we were standing there in the crowd, we would say, I believe in you. I'm coming. I'll follow you. I love you. I will follow my heart. My heart says you're the son of God. I believe that. And I will walk in faith, even though I can't prove it scientifically. I will walk away from the crowd. And I will walk with you alone. If I have to. Because you are my savior and my Lord. You are, the, you are the truth to me. And I will follow you with all my heart. And Jesus Christ. Thank you for your defense. Your angels about us. For the covering of the blood of Christ. Thank you for preventing the devil. And exposing him. Of giving us the spirit of, of God. Which gives us discernment. To know a lie from the truth. To know what's, what's from the enemy and what's from you. 
Grant us, Lord, make us strong in the gift of discernment as we walk through these days. Thank you for that grace. We pray it now in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.